Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. We're really happy to welcome back Chris Conacher of Audiophile Style, which is now Audiophile Style and Immersive Audio. You've changed your tagline there, haven't you? Ah, uh, yes. It's great to be back. And I have added a little bit to the metadata from, you know, just stereo to immersive audio now. So stereo is not good enough anymore. I wouldn't say that. I say that to myself, but I wouldn't say <laughs> that for everyone else. <laughs> Because we'll link to a couple of episodes where you've talked about your incredibly expensive speakers, your very fancy listening room that you're sitting in right now with all these things on the side, these panels to reflect and diffuse the sound and everything. And after you set up that listening room, how long was it before you started going into Dolby Atmos music? A uh, few years. Uh, it was, and even I remember talking to you guys about it once Apple announced it. Right. super skeptical like no right. it's got potential but i ain't going there and now i've been heavily into this since i don't know around the start of the year and that's all i do is research listen everything it's it's fantastic the thing about apple's dolby atmos is it's mostly designed to be played back on a computer or through uh, AirPods and all. And I remember my first tests I was listening to, I don't remember which jazz pianist, and it sounded like the piano was behind my left shoulder. That They have some way of the, the, the way they can phase the music across speakers and it gives it a, a space. And that's just wrong. But it's obvious that surround sound, which we had since, you know, quadrophenic music back in the 70s, is a good idea. But as you're going to explain, there's an awful lot to do to get that sound around you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right now, I look at Atmos through headphones, like having a picnic in your basement. <laughs> you know, it, it may be fun for a few minutes. Hey, this is cool. It's not going to rain on us. But after a while, it's like, oh, gosh. But as I have said, it's great for movies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's but we're in this is early days. You know, I mean, right. the headphones are only going to get way better to make the experience funner. The thing I'd have, I, I didn't like about Apple's spatial audio is that when they took songs that had already been produced, you know, from the 80s, and then made them made the sound disparate, the, the cohesiveness of the song disappeared, and they sound very thin and brittle in, in, in that way. Now, you're telling me that things are getting better? So that all comes down to the mixing engineer. And what the mixing engineer had available with the multi-track tapes, and some of them, unfortunately, are using a plugin that just takes stereo and turns it into Atmos. Apple says they won't accept it, but they do. And that sounds terrible. It's a bad experience all around. Yeah. However, when you get somebody like Elton John, who has the best people and the, the best uh, master tapes and all the multi-tracks, create something like Rocket Man and Atmos, it's an experience you will never forget. That's one of the things that I predicted early on. I said, once producers start getting the knack of this, they will develop better habits and they will actually write and compose music that should be played back this way. So it, so it's intentionally uh, Dolby Atmosified 
rather than, you know, just the, the simple stereo sitting there on the soundstage. Um, so uh, that's all good news to me as far as I'm concerned. And, of course, Elton, I haven't heard the Elton John stuff, but I, if, you've, if you've mentioned it, I should go and listen to it. Oh, there is. Yeah, but you don't have 11 speakers. See, see, I'm, I'm looking at Chris, and so Chris is sitting, would you say, laterally at the back end of his listening room. And I can see two, I can see a side speaker and a rear speaker, but there's got to be more side speakers going forward. So let me see. You got two stereo, you got a subwoofer, that's three. You must have at least six side and back speakers. How many channels altogether do you have? So it's 12 channels, uh, 7.1.4 is the Dolby terminology. So seven, what they would call, they call them bed channels or ear height channels. Uh, the point one is the subwoofer, obviously. And then the final point four is the four channels on the ceiling. Are they all on the ceiling or do they come out on the side? I bought a Sonos Arc soundbar and it has two speakers that come out on the sides and two that go up. So you can do it multiple ways. Some uh, side speakers or rear speakers have ceiling firing uh, drivers. So those will obviously fire before and the others are delayed. So you get the bounce and it gives you the height effect. Unless you're crazy like me and you actually drill into your ceiling and run cabling and, you know, all of that. But 7.1.4 is a pretty standard way to do this. However, given that Dolby Atmos is object-based, you could do this in 5.1.2, 5.1.4, 9.1.6, and the music folds to all the speakers correctly. Can you define object-based? Sure. Object-based is at the creation process of this, you're not saying this sound comes from this speaker or this channel. You're saying this sound comes from this space. Right. So if I want to put something, you know, on the side, I say, okay, I want this guitar on the side. Whatever the person has for speakers, it's going to put them in the right speakers or mix between channels to get the sound to come from that sp that position. So I'm trying to think of movie theaters I've been in where you've got front speakers and side speakers and rear speakers. When you're listening to music, do you have to be just between the first set of side speakers? And so that's where you're getting the proper side. And then the ones behind you are kind of for ambience, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so music is way different than movies when it comes to surround audio. The, the use of the other channels in music is like off the charts for some of them. It's not just ambience. It is a main source. Like if you listen to something from the label 2L, Morten Lindbergh's label from Norway, I was not a fan of the music until I heard it uh, in Atmos. He records in surround. The whole like orchestra surrounds his microphones. You are in like the conductor's position. So when you hear that, you're hearing the initial sound comes out of a rear channel or a height channel. This isn't just an ambience thing. It is first sound out of any speaker. So this means that your rear speakers and side speakers have to be as good as your front speakers. With an asterisk. If you can do that, sure. I always say get the best speakers you can. There's no getting around physics because for music, you may have a piano in the rear speaker, and that is where it emanates from. Yeah, because if I think of a normal, let's just say, a string quartet on stage, and I'm in a, a, a space, a symphony hall, whatever, the sound is coming from the front, but it's echoing off the side, and it's echoing off the top and the back, and that's the whole ambient part. But what you're talking about now is intentionally recording to take 
advantage of that space, like Stockhausen with multiple orchestras, or or um, Charles Ives, for example, who does that with multiple marching bands, giving more possibilities. However, if the music's not composed for that, you can't put stuff in the back channel, right? Yes and no. You'll have to listen to Elton John's Rocket Man because what they have done in all of the channels and the height channels, it is a completely new experience and it can't be compared. You can't take like the, the stereo and say, can we make the stereo better with more channels? No, we've made the recording different. It is yeah. not like an enhancement to stereo. Whereas if you go to a live recording, something like one of my favorites is Los Angeles Philharmonic and Disney Hall. Most of the other sounds are the ambience. You feel like you're in the hall. But it's being used in all different ways. That's really interesting because the original stereo recording said, well, let's put the person listening to the orchestra or the band or whatever in the center of the audience. But I like what you said a minute ago. You said the central point is the conductor. So you're listening to an orchestra as if you're standing right there. But the thing about that is that's wrong yeah. because you're meant to be sitting in the audience. So you don't want to hear what, I mean, I, I like, is there a button? Is there some <laughs> software that says, I want to hear it as the conductor? No, I want to hear it as a guy sitting in the, in the, in the third balcony or, you know, I mean, could you do that? So I say you're sitting where the conductor's sitting because say the microphones are placed there, but creating a recording isn't just taking all of the tracks and putting them together they're creating something that you know it does exist but you, you don't get so, the perfection of that so it's it's not trying to replicate a concert experience it's trying to make some other kind of audio experience would you yeah, say see, yes that's where a lot of people get mixed up they're like they think it's only cre replicating a concert experience so only ambience should be behind me or you know there should never be a guitar in the height channels or whatever that's really not this. It's up to the engineers to decide what they want to do. So it's like all of the above is possible. But that's what the recording industry has been telling us for 60 years, that it's like you're in a concert hall. And now they're changing and saying, well, it's not like you're in a concert hall. It's different. And I can understand. I can imagine. I saw Pink Floyd do the wall in, what was it, 1981? And they had speakers all around the, the top of Nassau Coliseum where I was, and there's bits where the music is going around. So I can see that it's intentionally designed for that. But does it become a gimmick after a while? Is it, does it lend itself to gimmickry as people are taking their first steps in this? It certainly could, but I have yet to find anything that is like a gimmick. I look at this as music's HDTV moment. Everybody, when they saw their first HDTV, was like, oh, whoa, I, I get it. I want this. If you listen to a proper Atmos system with something like Elton John's Rocket Man, you will immediately go, I get this. All music should be done this way. This is absolutely amazing. The, the other thing this reminds me of is that when they said, hey, we can do two channels now, they said, well, how should we do two channels? <laughs> should we put yeah. the bass and the drums on one side and the piano and the vocalist on the other? Or should we attempt to make it sound like there's an arc of a, of a listening thing? And so with two speakers, it seems fairly simple. That's pretty much the only thing you can do. Put, you know, cut the musicians in half and put them on either side or record it as if it's some kind of, you know, live studio recording. But now you're saying, you're saying that with 27 speakers, 
you can create something that is not that at all. It's a completely different experience. Yes, it's a completely different animal. And to go into your point a little bit more, I've been researching the New York Times archives in the late 50s when we oh. went from mono to serial. I say, oh, please we, write I a book. Please write a book about that. <laughs> I wasn't alive, but I want to know what did people say? And the arguments for and against are identical to the arguments for and against Atmos. People were saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to double the amount of speakers from mono to stereo. Who's going to do that? That's crazy. And yes, they were deciding, is ping pong stereo cool? Is it a gimmick? How does this all work? And mm. it's very similar now, but they've learned from that. They haven't done the ping pong Atmos. Okay, so I once had a 5.1 system and it was such a hassle because I did not have a dedicated room for the TV and I had to put the rear speakers on a dining room table every time we wanted to use it and it was a pain. It was a real pain. You've got a dedicated listening room. You're like royalty here in terms of the way, you know, I'm thinking like Johann Sebastian Bach when he was composing music for the Prince Selector whatever. That's kind of what you have. But for most of us, we can't do that. What, how do we get from A to D? right? To Dolby Atmos. Yeah, that is kind of the thing. It's in a way, a system like the one I have is equivalent of a movie theater. Not many people have that full experience, but when you can do it, it's absolutely amazing. So then how do we scale that back and get it to be as good as possible without 12 dedicated channels in a room? It's not easy. And I guess for the people who already have 5.1, they could add two height channels and have a Atmos certified system, 5.1.2. That's kind of like a, okay, that's good. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. So I, I mentioned before, I bought a Sonos Arc soundbar. I had had a Sonos Beam before. I got a new OLED TV last year. And I said, I want to get the Atmos soundbar. And it's been really disappointing. Most of the movies that I've watched, you get a little bit of feeling of space, but not much. And we watched the new Top Gun movie, and it's the first time I heard something where it really sounded like space. And that convinced me, you know what? I want to put two Sonos ones in the rear now and get that kind of space. So, and I wasn't even thinking of Dolby Atmos music. I was just thinking more for the movies that, you know, when we rent a movie from iTunes in 4K and it's in Atmos, it's not that in the room I have is not too complicated. It, there are some complications, but what does that get me? So the, I think the arc is supposed to be like a seven channel or nine or whatever. Uh, I mean, it'll be a pale approximation. It'll be like one of those wind up record players compared to your system, but I will still get some surround, right? Yeah, yeah. The One of the guys who writes for us at Autofile Style, Bob Fairbairn, has that system. He has a Sonos Atmos system with the, the soundbar and the ones and all of that. And he really, really likes it. So it's... You know, it's something and that's better than nothing. And it's I think it's definitely worth doing. How close are we to seeing some kind of consumer level system where you get like a bar on the left and a bar on the right and, you know, a bar you put on the ceiling and a bar you put in the corner? I mean, is is, is that sort of thing down the road? Where where are we as far as like, you know, average people grabbing this kind of technology? Because I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars on speakers. I'm just not. Yeah. I think we're already there, especially for the people who say you purchased home theater in a box. It was a 5.1 system, whatever. 
You just need two more speakers and you have an Atmos right. system. Hmm. The thing to do for most people, well, to get the speakers that say sit on top of your front main speakers and aim up toward the ceiling. Then you're going to get the bounce. You'll get the ceiling effect. It's not, you know, the discrete in ceiling channels, but it's a pretty good step. Hmm. This is tempting because I bought that box set, uh, Robert Fripp Exposures, recently, and it's got on Blu-rays, it's got a bunch of Atmos mixes. And I was thinking, I'm never going to be able to hear them, but now all I need to do is add two speakers, and I'm almost there. Which I'm you've got in the house. You could hook it up for a weekend. Well, I, mean. I do have two, in there, but I've yeah. got to put stands on the shelves on the wall yeah, and mount stuff. It's not that simple. But like you said, you already have trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's already yeah, yeah. A, a troublesome uh, chore to listen to movies and music anyway. Yeah. So why not? But, for but a the weekend? only thing I'm missing now is a subwoofer, and I'm waiting for Sonos to release what's supposed to be a less expensive subwoofer because the, the only one they have is almost as expensive as the, the sound bar itself. So the subwoofer for Atmos Music, far less important than for movies. Wow. You, yeah, I can imagine that because the bass response on this sound bar is pretty good. And in movies, it's like it's like when the fighter jet takes off from the aircraft carrier or when the volcano erupts, that sort of thing. Yeah, and it comes down to the creation process when they're creating this, they don't like to use the subwoofer channel too much because in systems that, so Atmos is adaptive to other systems, the subwoofer channel is the first one that just gets removed ah, in right. certain playback systems. So they don't want to put something there that's going to be totally gone. So you wouldn't want to, you don't want to be in the subwoofer manufacturing business right now because it's the first thing that goes. Yeah. They're awful pieces of furniture too, if I may just throw in an aside. Subwoofers yeah. are just awful to try to put in your house. They're just terrible. Yeah, not easy. Yeah. And when I look at the meters on my playback system, the subwoofer channel is often dead. Huh. Yeah. Really? Okay. I, I wouldn't have expected no. that. I would have expected, particularly like a symphony, mm. where you want to get that you want to feel the floor. Sound. You want that rich sound. But I guess that's just not low enough to need the subwoofer. They put it? it in the main channels. Okay. Kind of like that. Any regrets? Uh, that I didn't get more speakers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely none. I couldn't be happier that I'm going down this path. This has just opened up a whole new world of music to me, too. Uh, speaking of music, The Grateful Dead, American Beauty. Yeah, I know. I saw this on Twitter. Oh, it's like, my dude, God. where have you been? Uh, that album, I've maybe listened to it twice in my life and just went, ah, that is not for me. Now, but that that actually God. lends itself to Atmos with all the acoustic yeah. sounds and the and the, the the space in that music. Yeah. And to have four, so I have four height channels on my ceiling. And to have a separate voice in each singing backing vocals. <laughs> oh, yeah, on Ripple. Word. Yeah. It is so cool. You have to just get past this idea of the music's only supposed to come from the front. Right. No, this yeah. is a different experience altogether. It is so cool. American Beauty, it, I could listen to that all day. It's such a cultural thing. It's such a cultural thing that the music comes at you yeah. and not around you. It's well, weird. if you think about it, we've been listening with headphones for a long time, and there the music is around you. So we've always had both, right? You've always had the at and around. The difference is, and as I can tell with the AirPods Max, is you do get the space that sounds like it's coming from above and the sides and it's split and all that. How many channels does the AirPods Max manage? That I don't know, but Apple streams a max of 7.1.4 through Apple Music which is what oh. I'm doing. Okay. So my guess is 
that's what it's sending to those. Okay. Um, mm. Now, your your discussion of American Beauty brings up something that Doug and I have been talking about for a while, because you mentioned on Twitter that it's a mastering by Stephen Wilson. And it's really interesting that pretty much every album from the 70s has been mastered by or remastered by Stephen Wilson. And we were discussing a couple of weeks ago that we're all hearing, if we're listening to these remasters, we're all hearing prog rock through the ears of one guy. And there's something that sounds a bit negative there. One thing, a huge difference in the terminology, it's remixing instead of remastering. Okay, but all the prog rock <laughs> remasters have pre Dolby Atmos have been done by Stephen Wilson. Yeah, and it kind of seems like you're in a funnel where there's only one person deciding how all this stuff should sound. Yeah, I don't disagree, but on the other hand. You can use the famous quote, I have the simplest tastes. I only like the best. If he's the yeah. best at it. and But is he? Artists, See, that's the thing. True. Um, he seems to or, produce incredibly great Atmos mixes. Uh, now, I don't know who did this, but early this year, I bought the complete Chicago Live at Carnegie Hall, and it was just so bad. I think I shared a track with you to listen yes. to. It was just so bad. I finally got rid of it on eBay. I don't remember who did it, but like they... I just don't understand. They picked someone to do a remastering and it's the source material was bad. It's not necessarily the person who did the remastering, but it's frustrating. Yeah. It's like any technology. Some of the final products will be fantastic and some will be terrible. You know, it's just, that's how it works, unfortunately. Okay. We've got to talk about the elephant in the room, MoFi. I can, I can imagine that you audiophiles have been, I don't know complaining, ranting, debating about MoFi for a while now. Just before we started, I saw on Twitter that the MoFi thread on the Steve Hoffman forum, which is a forum for people who are very obsessive about music, had reached a thousand pages. And what's going on here? For, for people who don't know who MoFi is, can you first explain who MoFi is? Yeah, Mobile Fidelity has a long history of making some of the best remasters of not necessarily audiophile music, but popular music, great music, like Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon is one of their classics that they did. So they produce the best sounding version of many albums. And they, how do I say, okay. And the latest controversy is their analog versions have a digital step in them. They transfer the analog tapes to digital and then they took that digital and printed it to a piece of plastic to drag a needle over i mean they printed it to a vinyl record but they were saying that it was analog all the way through right and so analog purists were getting what they thought was a vinyl record that came from analog tapes and it turned out that someone cut the dose with baby laxative <laughs> they were using language that would lead 99 percent of people to believe it was analog the whole way they never said this is AAA to use the SPARS codes, but yes, most people would look at that and think it's analog. I have a positive spin on this one, and I think since many people have been listening to digitally sourced vinyl now for like 15 years for mobile fidelity, maybe they'll go, ha it ain't really bad. This is actually good. There, there is a lawsuit now. Yeah, too, there's a class course. action. The problem is that when you think vinyl, any new band that's making a vinyl record, with a few exceptions, is going from digital to vinyl, right? It, it's the delivery that's analog. It's not the whole process before. And I guess, 
it just it just brings up all these questions of I don't want to use the term snobbery in a derogatory sense, but like people who only eat, you know, a specific type of food because it's the best food and they're explaining to people why it's the best. And it turns out it's not the best. And I mean, weren't there some high res music dealers who were up sampling CD quality music for a while? So it was never the dealers or the online stores. It was always the label doing it. Right. Label would create create a version. Oh, here's your 2496. Here's your 24192. All sourced from the CD. But here it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get it. I get it. it uh, they're hobbyists. They want, you know, it's like, I get it. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with the, the persnickety-ness about it. It's like, I, I'm with you. It's like, okay, well... For goodness sake, there it is. Listen to it. Doesn't it sound great? I well, mean, but when there it is. But if you're paying twice as much for if you're paying twice as much for digital music that's been upsampled from CD compared to the CD price, that's just a scam. Right. That's true. I agree with I, that. I think MoFi is a slightly different issue. Yeah. You know how they're getting to the the final delivery method. Uh, we had a mixing engineer on many years ago. This podcast has been around for a long time. And he was explaining that he did all his mixing in analog. So he went from digital to analog because he had these analog tools that he used for compression, et cetera, and then to go back to digital. And I guess in some cases you do some of the stuff. You can do all your recording in analog, then you switch to digital before you go to analog. Does it make that much of a difference? Are, are audio files too obsessive? Don't answer that question. <laughs> They're just obsessive. They're not too obsessive. They're just no, plain yeah. just obsessive. They're just obsessive enough. They're just plain yeah. old regular obsessive. Yeah. yeah. Some of my favorite Pearl Jam live concerts were recorded at 2448, but then they ran them through an analog console to, you know, make adjustments to them and mix them and then sold them at 2496. You know, I'm just like, fine. That's what you want to do. That's that's okay with me. I guess if you were gonna sell different versions and then create a twenty four one ninety two for more money and then a twenty four three eighty four for right. more money, I might start to go. Well, wait a minute here. That's a little weird because yeah. it's the same data. But you know, so be it. Create what you want if it sounds good. Okay, so that that brings up an idea. Now I've got a, a photo editing app. When, when I write articles about computer stuff, I use screenshots or of images of logos. Sometimes I can't find a logo big enough. So I have an app called Pixelmator Pro on the Mac that uses a super image resolution thing. So I can upscale a 500 pixel wide image to like 3000 and it doesn't look like it's upscaled. Are we gonna see something like this in music? Mm. Will it be possible to use machine learning and AI and whatever they're using to create that stuff that we're not seeing? And we're seeing this in video a lot where people are upscaling old videos to like um, 60 frames per second and cleaning them up. Will this happen to music? I'm sure it will. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's the same sort of thing as, as the spatial audio. It's like you like it or you don't. Yeah. And if it tickles your fancy, why not? Um I don't know if I don't well it's like deep fakes right it's like deep fakes you can appreciate them for their for their interestingness but are they ethically a good thing to do well who sometimes who cares sometimes it's amusing Selena the Mexican singer who was you know unfortunately you know murdered years ago her family is releasing a new version of some of her music the voice has been processed to make her sound older to uh -huh. me, that is just like, uh, I guess if you like it, fine, but I ain't going there.
And Abbott's been doing that show in London with holograms, and the reviews are, are ecstatic. Yeah. People love it. Yeah. So I, I guess... As used car salesmen say, there's an ass for every seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris, it's been great having you. Um, I'm going to report back about my Sonos, because if you have Sonos gear, you might be eligible for a 15% discount. Now, if you remember, there was a bit of a controversy some years ago when Sonos offered people a discount to upgrade stuff, but then it was going to be bricked. So now if you've got old Sonos stuff, you can get 15% off whatever you want, and it doesn't stop you from using the old stuff. So I'm going to get a pair of Sonos ones at 15% off and hook this up. It, it's not that complicated, and I'll report back. Awesome. Chris, Chris thanks a lot for joining us again. Thanks. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. Well, we finally got an epilogue. We've always wanted an epilogue, and here we got a chance to uh, actually do one. Um, the conversation we had with Chris Conacher was a week ago, and in the interim between that conversation and right now, Kirk has outfit himself with a Dolby Atmos immersive system. I guess you just couldn't resist, could you? You had techno lust, it just took over, and that was it. Well, I mentioned earlier in the episode that I was thinking of getting a pair of Sonos Ones to use as rear speakers for my Sonos Arc soundbar, which is Dolby Atmos itself. But it, while you get some feeling of surround, you don't get anything from behind you. You get the top sounds, but you don't get that envelopment of surround. So on Wednesday, I got the two Sonos ones, and I think it was Thursday that I set them up. And I have to concur with what Chris said earlier regarding music. It's like the first time you see HDTV. The difference is stunning. And one thing to remember is back in the day when I had a 5.1 system in a box, right, where all the units came together, the rear speakers were tiny little speakers. They weren't very good. Sonos Ones are very, very good speakers. So having them as rear speakers makes them somewhat equivalent to the quality of the sound from the Arc. So you've got four good quality main speakers along with all the rest. The impression watching movies is as expected. Uh, the first thing I did is I put on the new Top Gun trailer and you hear the sound coming from all directions and it's really quite impressive. Since then, I've watched several movies some with surround sound, some without. You get the ambience. It's not extraordinary. You need to have an actual Dolby Atmos movie, and I need to spend some time and find, like, maybe watch a James Bond in Dolby Atmos. See, I don't care about the video aspect at all. I'm very eager to know how music that's produced, music, strictly music, that's produced using Dolby Atmos sounds and feels. I mean... Is it the difference between mono and stereo? I mean, is it that? Yeah, I mean, is it, definitely it that is. shocking? Yeah, it is. It is. It's like the first time you heard stereo after you heard mono, and then you go to Dolby Atmos, and it's like it, it's an additional dimension, right? It's not like five one. It's not like you you would not compare it to five one. Well, you get more with Atmos. I don't remember. It's only 20 minutes ago in the episode, but I don't remember how many channels Chris said are in the Atmos that Apple streams. You're enveloped around yourself and above yourself, and that's the thing. It sounds more like you're listening to live music, but the thing I don't really like is it sounds like you're in the middle of the band on the stage, and that's how Apple touted it. And that while, while the concept is interesting, that's not how we hear music. Well, that's not how you want to hear music. I mean, some people may want to be in the middle of the band and hear it. I personally don't. I want to be a little, I want to be, you know, if I'm watching a jam session, I want to be away from it. I don't want to be in it. Yeah. Uh, 
But, you know, we talked, I think, about the, the various audio configurations you could create and make them options for the user. I mean, it's certainly a possibility that you could create a, you could produce a, uh, a Dolby Atmos version that has you in the middle or has you as a, uh, as a uh, spectator. That brings me to the thought of how bad is the tyranny of the sweet spot? It's not as bad as stereo, but it still exists. You still kind of have to, you've got a bigger radius uh, around the sweet spot, I would say. You've got a little bit more room, but it's still there. You can't sit in a corner of the room and really appreciate it the same way. Although you'd just be in a different position in the band, right? So it's yeah. kind of it's kind of hard to describe. One of the things I did is I went through a bunch of uh, Apple's spatial audio playlist where they're presenting the music that they were using when they first launched this. And some of this is old music that was remixed. And I mentioned there was one jazz pianist, I think Art Blakey, and it sounded like he was over my left shoulder when I listened on my iMac. When I'm surrounded, it doesn't sound like that anymore. It sounds like he's a bit to the left but not too far, and you get that sense of space, which you get with, say, AirPods Max and AirPods Pros that do spatial audio, but you simply can't judge this on an iMac or a MacBook Pro that offers spatial audio support. I, 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 I wonder how many configure as I mentioned a minute ago, um, these configurations that could be, you know, could be made available um, if you want to be in the audience, if you want to be in the band, if you want to be in the third balcony or whatever, um, this is the kind of thing that troubles me because stereo is fairly obvious, the, and the and the analog was simple. It's like it's like your two ears, um, but this is not like the two ears. This is seven uh, one, isn't it seven one four? Is that what is that what Apple does? Even the Sonos Arc doesn't do all those channels. It's a five one two. Right, so five front, one sub, and two Dolby Atmos. So the two Dolby Atmos are the ones that go up, right? They fire to the ceiling. So Chris's system has four going up. The Sonos Arc only has two. So it's it's a little bit more limited what I have compared to Chris's. I mean, link in the show notes to Chris's articles. You see what his listening room looks like. And if you've seen it in the past with his $50,000 speakers and you see the new ones on the wall, you'll see how immersive it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, we asked him, is there a, the tyranny of the sweet spot? And he said, not really. <laughs> but of course, yeah. he's got a professionally designed and built uh, And And he's room. got two seats right in the sweet spot. Yeah. So listening to different kinds of music was interesting because listening to, say, an orchestral piece, it does sound like you're more in a concert hall because... Because in addition to the normal surround, you get that stuff that's coming off the ceiling. So you hear the space of the hall. Tons um, of ambience. You, they, can, yes. they can realistically create ambience. Right. And this isn't like an effect or a trick. This is just to add the feeling of space. Listening to someone sing some Schubert Leader, so voice and piano, you get a very nice spatial feeling from it. And in this case, in Top Gun, the Dolby Atmos is to make it sound like the planes are flying over your head. Here, it's to add just that little bit of extra ambience to make you feel like it's more realistic. Because you know, let's face it, you're listening with two speakers. It's coming directly at you. Some of it bounces around, but by the time it gets off the ceiling of your listening room, it, it's, you don't hear it. When you're in a concert hall, you always hear that. You always feel that space. The thing I don't like about the uh, using video as an example is I really feel like they're, they're stereo demonstration records, really. 
I mean, you know, they they purposely create these effects, which is perfectly fine for the movie, just like they they purposely create visuals and they purposely create these, you know, these audio effects. But I'm not impressed by that. What I really want to hear is how it enhances a live performance or, or not. And that, to me, is key. I think we talked briefly with Chris about, or you and I were talking about it, about the idea of actually streaming live performances in this kind of format. I would pay, and I think you would too, we'd yeah. pay good money to see a, a live, yeah. like Madison Square Garden. Now, mic it up good, video it really good, and then broadcast it. And, and if you do it over this kind of system, I think it might be lucrative for the producers, but also quite enjoyable for the audience. It would sound better than if you're there in person. Yeah, absolutely. Because as and good it, as Madison Square Garden can sound, right. you've still got the audience noise, and it's still loud to reach the back. Sure. So you get that kind of muddiness, and the sound bounces around, and you know. Yeah, it, that's why I don't sound. I, I don't like going to live performances for that very reason because it's too loud to appreciate yeah. it. I mean, you go for other reasons be, to hear the music. You go to see the band. You go to hang out with people. Yeah. You go to be able to say you were there. Um, but otherwise, it's like it's a. I've always thought of it as a subpar experience. Yeah. In any case, I'm very happy with this. Great. For various reasons, I haven't had enough time to really look into it. This is the busy week, right? This is Apple announcing new products, so I've had a lot of work. Had to order a new iPhone and Apple Watch, and you know we'll be discussing in a couple of weeks. We'll be discussing new features in the music app for Mac and other things like that. So this is the busy time of year for me, but it, it's there and. I am looking forward, for example, that new uh, Robert Fripp Exposures release has a, I, I, I don't want to say it's an Atmos mix, but it's at least a 5.1 mix. So I'm looking forward to taking the Blu-rays up and listening to that to start with. All right, that was pretty good for our first epilogue. Now, let's do our next track picks. You said something earlier about deep fakes. And so instead of a music next track, I'm going to pick a TV series, which is currently on in the UK on the BBC. By the time this episode comes out, I think it will have ended. It's a six episode series as British series often are. It's called The Capture. This is the second season. And the first season was all about surveillance cameras capturing what people do, but then people manipulating the images, right, to make someone look like he was guilty of a crime. The second season goes even farther, and it's all about the combination of these cameras and deep fakes and people hacking into these systems, replacing audio and video. And I want to say it's almost as good as Line of Duty, which is a cop series that was on here for five seasons. It's really clever. Technologically, it's really, it's true to life. But the way that they do some of this stuff with the deep fakes is, is really inspiring. I also like it because a young actor who I've seen here on stage in Stratford named Papa Esiodu is one of the lead characters in this. I've seen him play Hamlet, among others. He's a really good actor. He's got a future in movies. He really does. He's done a lot of TV stuff. Not quite James Bond, but he's, he's one of these you know actors who's got a lot of character. So it's called The Capture. I'm pretty sure you can get it on the iTunes store in the U.S. If you're in the U.K., it's on the iPlayer. Doug, what have you got? I think it was about a year ago that uh, Joe Strummer 001 came out, and it was a two-disc collection of some of the stuff that Joe Strummer had done before he was in The Clash, not with The Clash, stuff he had guested on, things like that. It was only two discs. Well, Joe Strummer 002 is about to be released, and it is the Mescaleros years. And as a Clash fan, I was always waiting for when are The Clash coming back? 
And the Mescaleros is about as close as you're going to get to what the clash could have been, although it's just Joe Strummer's vision of it. But the Mescaleros albums are really great, I, I want to say, like world music, because there's just such a great mix of, of, of different styles and, and things that he uses. And of course, like John Lennon, Joe Strummer is a, a really creative guy with flaws, and that's what I think makes some of his music so great. But anyway, this 002, which makes me think, wait a minute, they're using three digits. Are there going to be like 100, 500? They're only up to 002, and that isn't even out yet. But I, I don't think there's that much recorded Joe Strummer music. But I'll take it all because I really love the Mescaleros albums, especially um, Streetcore, which was finished um, after his death. Amazingly, it's probably the best Mescaleros album there is. It was produced by the band and, and Joe Strummer's wife. That is included in the, well, all the Mescaleros stuff is. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, uh, this will give you a high dose of it. So that's my next track. Joe Strummer, 002, The Mescaleros Years. This was episode number 239 of The Next Track. Thank you very much for listening. You can start to join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. Follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And please, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>